Schrodinger's box was a thought experiment devised in 1935 after discussion with Albert Einstein, after the latter's EPR article on the Copenhagen interpretation in 1934. The theory was that the quantum system remains in superposition until it interacts with, or is observed by, the external world. In correspondence with Schrodinger, Einstein pointed out that the state of unstable keg of gunpowder will, at some point, contain a superposition of both exploded and unexploded states. To illustrate, Schrodinger proposed that someone could, for example, create another superposition in large scale by making a subject reliant on another particle that was in superposition. A live cat could be placed in a sealed box with a radioactive atom. The cat's life would be reliant on whether it had decayed and emitted radiation or not. The quantum superposition theory has been tested through the well-known double-slit experiment. The thought is that particles or groups of particles possess wave-like characteristics, and waves can exist in multiple places in space at once. So it stands to reason that any piece of matter can also exist in two places at once. The experiment involves projecting a beam from a source at a flat surface. The surface would block the beam but for the placement of two slits in the surface. The light should show as one band, but instead is projected on the other side of the wall as an interface. It has been conducted with electrons and single atoms being fired at high rates. The atom should just be picked up on the other side once again, and a single impact. Instead, it reads as having passed through both holes simultaneously. This has also been the basis for some versions of parallel universe theory, or what has more recently entered the popular vernacular as multiverse theory. If all things can exist in multiple places at the same time, it stands to reason that so can we, our things, even our ideas. The multiverse theory has been the basis for great sci-fi tales since the dawn of time. What if I made different choices, movements, actions, than those I'd made up to here and now? Would it be as simple as me being here in another shirt? And he's still in there. Maybe you'd be listening to someone else. Another place or time telling you all of this about a physicist and his box. No, that's just silly. Welcome to the timeline. Welcome to the X Men Days Future Past special.
Can we understand the words of the Come on, project, project limit, confidence. Project. That's still the same voice. Here. Talk from here. Hello, welcome to this amazing episode of... That's better. There you go. That's better. Let's talk a bit louder than normal, I guess. There we go. Put my PA voice on. Welcome everyone to the timeline episode 1.8 X-Men Days of Future Past The Roker The Roker, yes Slash The Roker um, The best X-Men film Skip that, well you don't know yet actually You've still got two X-Men films to watch <laughs> And three <laughs> side films to watch Four side films to watch Are we doing New Mutant? Yes, oh, yeah, okay. New Mutant's okay. the last okay. one Look forward to that one. Hold on to your horses for that one. Never seen that one here, but... So, let's get into pre-productions, inspirations, cast and crew. The casting's well. So the inspiration for Days of Future Past was Days of Future Past. It's a storyline in the Marvel comic book, The Uncanny X-Men, that took place over issues 141 and 142 published in 1981 oh. and deals with a dystopian future in which mutants are incarcerated in internment camps uh, an adult Kitty Pride transfers her mind into her younger self present day Kitty Pride, obviously who brings the X-Men uh, to prevent a fatal moment in history that triggers anti-mutant hysteria more or less the same sort of principle Co-writer uh, Kingbird um, said that the main focus of this film was the future of the X-Men film series, which, I mean, it's kind of <laughs> right in the long run. According to Kingbird, uh, as they were writing the script, they thought it was more sensible for Wolverine to travel between time periods instead of Kitty Pride because of his ageless look, which we'll get onto. He further stated of making Wolverine the time traveller, we made the decision for a lot of reasons. He's the protagonist of the franchise and probably the most beloved character to a mass audience. That's mainly because they made him that way. Though. Uh, <laughs> Kinberg and Vaughan uh, considered Bishop and Cable candidates for the role of time traveller. Uh, Kinberg said uh, Rachel Summers was the first, in the first draft of the script. Uh, she sent Wolverine back to 1973. The character was later replaced with Kitty Pride, to whom Kingbird gave secondary power of sending people's consciousness into the past. Uh, Angel Salvador, Juggernaut, Jubilee, Nightcrawler and Psylocke were also considered for the film. Why not just put them all in there? Yeah, well, <laughs> well, they got close. Um, so the film's release date, which we'll add to it, the, the main theatrical cut of the film was released on May 23rd, 2014 in the United States. So technically you could consider that one of the times yeah. that the film starts, but we know there's some loose talking about time periods yeah. and stuff. Um, but uh, I'd like to say what well, theatrical cut, and that makes it sound like there was another cut. <laughs> Thank you. 
20th Century Fox Entertainment released an alternate version of the film titled The Road Cut on July 14th, 2015. So not that long afterwards. Which makes you wonder how much was already... But I feel like this was a period where films were still... If they were too long, they were still in this mindset they didn't want to like... Yeah, but this is such a drastically different film. I know, but like... We'll get into it, obviously. Yeah. But I feel like it's still back like, that period of the time. Cinema were like, you can't go too long with films because no one, no one wants to sit in the cinema for too long. <laughs> How like. right they were. <laughs> uh, uh, it added 17 minutes of previously unused footage, including a subplot involving Anna Paquin's character, Rogue, un- unsurprisingly, whose role was reduced to a brief cameo in a theatrical release. The Roca is also screened at the 2015 San Diego Comic Con International. So, let's uh, look at the cast who have returned to us. Um, Bear with us on this one. (laughs) So, um, this is most of everybody we see. So, James McAvoy, he returns as young Professor Charles Xavier. McAvoy has, in between First Class and this film, Acted in 2011 animated Christmas movie Arthur Christmas, uh, 2013's Filth, and popped up in a, a cameo role in Muppets Most Wanted. And he was in those films. And he's been in a few other things, obviously. Everybody's constantly working, but these are the highlights. Um, the next star, I suppose, is Hugh Jackman. <laughs> uh, once again, back as Logan, Wolverine, Jimmy, Weapon X, so on and so forth. Uh, has not done anything except film a cameo for the yet unreleased Night at the Museum Secret of the Tomb. I'm surprised he's not done anything. Yeah, but to real, what, nothing that is okay, yeah, noted. Yeah, yeah. He's probably done small things. Yeah. Um, next up is Sir Patrick Stewart. He's remained prolific since X-Men Origins Wolverine, which we saw him pop up <laughs> at the end in... Yikes. Uh, sort of terrible m- mapped onto... Yeah. Let's not revisit that. Uh, including providing voices for TV, games, audiobooks, stage work, and much more. But it appeared in no film work during this time. And it's a much longer gap as well. Yeah, but he likes to do a lot of plays. He likes his stays. He's a very busy man, though. Yeah. Uh, next up, Michael Fassbender. Um, he's been very busy since first class, appearing in A Dangerous Method as Carl Jung, Prometheus as the android David, and 12 Years a Slave. To name a, a few highlights. He's a really good actor, though, isn't he? He's he's not quite method, no. but he's very. This he. I don't think he's bad as an actor. This makes it sound like I'm thinking. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to contest that. Well, I feel like he's um, the best in Prometheus. Yeah, like, yeah. like he carry. He, he's a highlight in most films yeah. he's in. Um, but he he's not that he's a great actor but more that every time he plays a role he's he's very different yeah. um and i can think of he's he's a gr- like the a-list character actor yeah does that make sense yeah um but yeah uh, so ian mckellen also coming back a legend ian made just one notable appearance as the little wizard that could gandalf in the hobbit dissolution <laughs> of smog or the little film that couldn't as <laughs> know it uh also coming back was jennifer lawrence after her time on first class uh finally she made it big that year appearing in three other films uh there was the hunger games 
that really put her into a mainstream, for which she was also returned to film 2013's Catching Fire. She also appeared in American Hustle in 2013. Um, Nicholas Holt came back and has been in Warm Bodies in 2013. And he was also in Redacted's Jack the Giant Slayer. Jack the Giant. You'll understand what the Redacted thing was about in a minute. Uh, Elliot Page has also come back. Uh, Could have been seen making the biggest jump since career-wise since the last stand uh they built an astounding resume <laughs> with starring roles in juno and inception but appearing in 11 other roles in that i time feel like he just blew up how nowhere yeah what was yeah. juno that did it yeah. really um sean ashmere is here as well uh okay he's <laughs> since last stand he appeared in horror in the ruins uh he was in frozen and breaking the girls ain't watched any of those <laughs> Ironic. Uh, the Iceman was in Frozen. Um, Halle Berry. You know her. I know her. Yeah. I watched most of her films. So. <laughs> uh, appeared in a few things before a shock appearance here. Heavily pregnant. Most of these smaller scale movies. Including... See, you've, you've got a question. Uh, movie Thought E3 and Cloud Atlas, which were both... You know, yikes movies. See, I like Cloud, actually, though. Cloud. I quite like that film. Okay, okay we're going to break for this bit. But... <laughs> Yellow Face. Yellow Face. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like that movie. It's very, very, it's very interesting. Like It, 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 it made choices uh, for different reasons. Yeah. It's it's very yikes. A pair of films. Maybe one day we'll do it. <laughs> oh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Timeline's definitely going to be interesting on that one. <laughs> Um, uh, Lucas Till uh, Blink and you miss him here but he's been in a string of direct to DVD films between First Class and now and Daniel Cudmore has been busy since Last Stand with repeated appearances in the Twilight films the Percy Jackson films and most unexpectedly playing Master Chief Petty Officer John 117 in Halo Forward Unto Dawn I've seen that I've seen that you wouldn't have known it was him, would you? No. <laughs> right. Some new cast. There was actually new people in here as well. So uh, the person everybody remembers is Evan Thomas Peters, born January 20th, 1987. He's an American actor and film producer. He's best known for his multiple roles in the FX anthology series American Horror Story. Uh, as Stan Bose in the first season of the FX ballroom drama series Pose. <laughs> and uh, the other big name, no pun intended for anybody who's going to make that poor taste joke, Peter Hayden Dinklage, born June 11th, 1969, which you wouldn't realise he was quite as old as that, is an American actor and producer. He received acclaim for portraying Tyrion Lannister, in the HBO television series Game oh, of Thrones. I kind of made him, I feel like. Because before that, I had no idea. He was relatively well known before. Was he? I yeah, had no idea he was before stuff. until... Raised in uh, Midham Township, New Jersey, his film debut was in Living in Oblivion in 1995. His breakthrough came with the comedy drama The Station Agent. He has appealed in Elf, Lassie, Find Me Guilty, Penelope, Underdog, Death at a Funeral, Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian, 
and Death at a Funeral. I've watched one of those films, that's why I have no idea who he is. <laughs> He's been in a lot of stuff. Very fine actor. Um, other stars of note joining the cast, if only briefly. Omar C., who was born 20th of January 1978. I will apologise for butchering names. I'm known for it, but I'm getting quite good at this at the moment. This is why I start stumbling now. You've said it now. Yeah. Uh, is a French actor, best known in France for his sketches with Fred Testot on the service Eprise Vant des Emissions televisions show in Canal Plus. Um, uh, fan Bing Bang, or Bing Bing, Bing Bing. Um, I didn't want to get that one wrong, just in case. Born 16th of September 1981, is a Chinese actress, singer, and has appeared in numerous films in China, but also made an appearance in Iron Man 3. I don't know. No. You, she's not born enough in that. If you saw her, you'd be like, oh. oh. Yeah. Um, but she, obviously the, the makeup's quite different here. Uh, Aidan Cantor, born December 5th, 1981, is a Mexican actor. Here he's playing Sunspot. Sunspot. There's not much else to say about him. <laughs> um, he's, he's fine. He doesn't get to do a lot in this film, to be fair. Uh, Joshua Hellman, born 27th of February, 1986, is an Australian television and film actor. Hellman, the third man to play William Stryker. William Stryker. Yep, the prolific character, William Stryker. Uh, Niles Allen Boo Boo Stewart Jr., born January 21st, 1994, is an American actor, singer, and visual artist. He's known for playing Seth Clearwater in The Twilight Saga. I've never watched Twilight. No, I've, I, I've heard, ironically, that the good things about those films in the long term, that once you get over the whole myth and the, the cultural thing about it back then yeah. and much like some TV shows where people go mad on them and then you come to it later yeah like there's things to appreciate I mean it's probably not for us still I don't yeah. know I can't speak for you but um, yeah uh, aside from the actresses and actors um, there are some other cast and crew and firstly there is director redacted redacted Directed Jack the Giant Slayer between this film and First Class. Yeah. Writers, uh, the film was, the script was written by Jane Goldman, Simon Kinberg, and Matthew Vaughan. Matthew Vaughan again with his sticky little fingers yeah. and everything. Uh, Goldman's not unknown to the X Men series as well. Um, Goldman's usually pretty good, but depends what she's working on. Um, so. Ready. Logos. Fox logo music crossfades into X-Men film theme music. Subtitle reads, New York. It's in ruins. Nighttime. The future is set around 2023-ish. Somewhere around there. Ish. 
The camera glides over the landscape as Professor X begins his traditional narration. The future, he begins. But just how far into the future? And when is he saying this? We see neon-lit concentration camps. Question marks. Those apparently still in power, rounding up mutants, marked on their faces with an M, with glowing yellow plugs in their necks. Assume... Just press their power. Yeah. And apparently non-mutant humans who dared help the mutants. We see a pile of bodies, at least 11 in the first heap, I counted, as the camera pans to show a couple of transporters, one dumping bodies of at least another 20-plus people. A blonde boy walks through the corpses and brushes off the dirt to find an X-Men uniform belt buckle in the ground. All shiny. Mm, well, he's, uh, after he's polished it. <laughs> Who is this? At best guess work, we have a handful of potential names. Beast is highest. Um, but also Mystique, possibly. Pyro, is it don't appear in this timeline. And Nightcrawler also. No. You know, any of them could be possible. But they're the ones that we don't see. Spoilers. A noise reveals a boy has been caught and with sinister hum and red glow seems to indicate a fate. A, a, not a good one. The camera moves in on the buckle and you get a traditional title sequence. X-Men. X. Days of Future Past. Scene 2. Moscow. Strange obelisk-like ships fly overhead. One opens, dropping some figures. We phrase through the roof of what looks to be a warehouse or a bunker or something like that. A young man carrying a barrel, black eye makeup. They're here, he says another person. Uh, he says as another person throws out an orb of energy, creating a portal as they both leap through. Time's up, she says. In my voice. <laughs> as, as the people jump to action, we see an unknown young man sat with Colossus. Reading a newspaper? Do we have those in the end times? I was thinking, I was like, who's printing newspapers in here, I guess, but... Well, it is implied that human beings are still in power. They're just rounding people up. That would make sense, actually. Yeah. But sense. why are their cities ruined? It's all very confusing. Maybe it's just New York. But then China is a bit messed up as well. I don't know. Um, an older black man in a red cape. I think he's older, because he just seems like he's older. Sat on some sandbags, and Kitty rising from a lower bunk. Sentinels, one man speaks out. The man in the cape calls out to a new face, Sunspot, who in turn shoots fire, I think, in, into his hand. Into the guy's hand. Not into his own hand, in case you're following. This is, <laughs> anyway. Uh, Kitty then leads him away, and the remaining, ex uh, remaining people, they aren't known... X-Men there. Uh, ready themselves for a fight. A drill breaks through the wall as Colossus and Sunspot hulk up, so to speak. Uh, an odd-looking figure falls through the hole. Sunspot coats it in fire and Colossus runs at it and quickly is checked by the beast. He's just knocked down straight away. He and the Eye Money Cup guy team up on the second figure as we see Kitty and Cape running through the shelves to get some. As the camera pans through the mutant's hideout, Kitty and Bishop fleeing the first sentinel assault and preparing to send Bishop backward through time. We slow to see a shrine to around 37 people, 
adorned with lit candles and what looks like rosary beads? Third figure drops in front of them. Which cape guy shoots, causing minimal damage as eye makeup guy leaps through a portal to attack it. The poor girl telling the pair to go. I don't know why I put that in quotes. As she summons the portal to get them moving again. She lands through another portal in front of Bobby, who glides past Kitty and Cape on an ice bridge and shares eye contact with Kitty as they cross paths before turning to ice and attacking Sentinel with cold air. Ice power. Just, just cold incarnate. We cut to Colossus fighting another, which takes on his powers. Which is an interesting reaction based on how they react to others. Sunspot using his fire before reversed by his sentinel turned to ice. Don't know how that works. I guess the sentinel is using more powerful ice than fire. <laughs> <laughs> and back to Bobby as he turns, uh, as his turns to fire, his sentinel, not not he turns to fire. Although, Ice Sentinel grabs Sunspot by the neck, choking him out. Fire Sentinel grabs Bobby by the head as we see Kitty and Cape face into a thick safe containing a bed. She then uses her hands on his head. <laughs> um, and uh, sends a blue energy into it. Cuts Colossus as he is beaten and his head pounded into the ground. That's quite vicious, actually. It looks, it looks rough, but Colossus is made yeah, of metal. Yeah. He's probably the only one that's not going to die from that. Um, Bobby, next, as his head is cracked, falls off and crushed under the foot. IMAC, Makeup, and Portal both take the fight to the Sentinels, but she is stabbed. Blink! He cries before he attempts to take on three with a small knife. What are his powers? Like He can see them coming, but that's it. He should be the one dying first in this situation. He's quickly um, shot down before down with a heat blast, which is then used to slowly begin making their way through the door, the safe door. Kitty continues to use her new powers, unexplained, on Cape as Sentinel sticks its head through the door and begins to attack. What does she say? What does she say? Is that a screw you or something? Screw you. Yeah, that's the one. Screw you or something. <laughs> Too late, assholes. That's the one. Before the room changes to show the world as though they were never there. Fade to Cerebro. Old Professor X is tracking mutants and humans in a world full of suffering. Professor, a soft voice asks gently, which in is Kitty's voice, but I couldn't figure that out the first time around. I've found them, he says, coming out of the portable version. They've got a portable version of Cerebro on the plane of the device, turning his seat on in uh, saying turning, turning his seat on the Blackbird. <sighs> Our shot passing through the plane to show it's in a workings very purposefully. It's jets quietly over China. We see two sentinel guards on the Great Wall. The Blackbird arrives at the Mountain Temple. It looks like a temple. Right. That's what we're going with. Yeah. It's a temple somewhere in China. Cape exits to greet them. And down the map steps Storm. Logan, hints of grey in his hair. Okay, we're going to stop here. 
Why has Logan got grey hair? All the rest of the cast are aging at normal rate. Shouldn't Logan look younger than they do? Yes, because technically ages a lot slower than everyone else. Uh, Xavier, and lastly, Eric. As they walk through the buildings, a figure watches from rooftops. Sunspot joins Cape before a more upbeat Bobby comes out and greets his new guests. Professor, he says. Bobby, Storm responds. <laughs> I mean, Storm was technically a teacher in school and head in three. Because she was in charge of school yeah. at the end, right? Um, so he could be talking to her. Kitty and Colossus are next out. And Bobby joins Kitty, taking her hand. After the ex-people arrive to find Kitty's ex-crew, we get to see yet another shrine to the lost. This time being cared for by Warpath. The credits simply saying, speaking another language. <laughs> Are you watching the subtitles? Okay. Yeah, well, you know, more I information guess, yeah. that way. Also, some people don't speak English occasionally. But it's, I mean, don't want to get on a tangent about bad subtitling. But why do they not just say which language it is he's supposed to be speaking? Just bad, bad, lazy, lazy work. Yeah. yeah. Get pull your fingers out, subtitlists. Inside, Kitty explains their survival thus far. Warpath spots sentinels. Uh, short notice, apparently. He must never sleep. Uh, and she sends Bishop back as an early warning device. Charles and Eric go over the plan they have to save everyone. In short, Xavier wants to go back in time to 1973, the Paris Peace Accords, and stop Mystique from assassinating Trask, the creator of the Sentinel program. Right, research time. Uh, the Paris Peace Accords, uh, officially titled The Agreement for Ending the War and Restoring Peace in Vietnam, was a peace treaty signed on January 27th, 1973. We have a date to work oh. from. To establish peace in Vietnam and end the Vietnam War. The treaty included the governments of the Democratic Republic of Vietnam, North Vietnam, the Republic of Vietnam, South Vietnam, and the United States, as well as the Republic of South Vietnam, or PRG, that represented South Vietnamese communists. Uh, the agreement called for the withdrawal of all US and Allied forces within 60 days, return of prisoners of war parallel to the above, clearing of mines in North Vietnamese ports by the US, a ceasefire in place in South Vietnam, followed by precise declinations of communist and government zones of control. Establishment of a National Council of National Reconciliation and Concord, composed of communist, government and neutral, uh, neutralist side to ensure democratic liberties and organise free elections in South Vietnam. Reunification of Vietnam through peaceful means, without coercion or annexation by either party and without foreign interference. Establishment of joint military commissions composed of four parties and an international commission of control and supervision composed of Canada, Hungary, Indonesia and Poland to implement a ceasefire, both by, uh, by unanimity. <laughs> God damn it. The withdrawal of foreign troops from Laos and Cambodia 
a ban on the introduction of war material in South Vietnam and less on a replacement basis, a ban on introducing further military personnel into South Vietnam, and US financial contributions to healing the wounds of war throughout Indochina. Nice peace treaty. Yes. Uh, I hope you all agree to it. Uh, we can't really go forward without it. <laughs> well, what happened? Well, it could still be going back on. Before I was even born, so... I was I was around for about no. a month at that point. <laughs> anyway, Kitty argues she can't really send him back that far until Logan offers to go instead, positing his healing would protect him. I guess it's just a little... Charles would be the obvious one to send back, but... As the crew converse about sending Wolverine back in time, Bishop interrupts, concerned about the unseen risks. History may change for the worse, some might never be born. Storm argues for the cause. Bishop tells them his people need to vote. Charles tells them they already have. Which is kind of an abuse of power when you think about it. They will all just take it on faith he's being honest about each other person's vote. <laughs> it's the end Coercion. Time, this is the end times. You gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> I can't believe it. As so a storm, Colossus, Warpath, Sunspot, Blink, Bishop guard the now barred door. Inside Magneto, Xavier, Kitty, Iceman and Wolverine prepare for the time travel needed. Logan is told to go find Xavier and Eric. Young them, not literally in the moment. Just as the team prepares to send Wolverine back, Bobby checks on Kitty and she reassures him she'll be alright before the two share a kiss. Kitty then explains what will happen to Logan. While he's in the past, both timelines will coexist. So this is where we're going to have to start noting what's going on. I'm going to, for the camera, I'm doing this. So this is the timeline. Then he goes back in time. But both timelines are happening at once. once yeah. In co in cooperation with I, I don't know. So if he gets woken up halfway through, time changes there. Essentially. Yeah. It's when he goes back to his body, that's when it changes happen. Essentially, like uh, and I wonder how many people will quite follow the rules of how how it works yeah. in this, but I think they kinda of like explained it slightly before when they tried it, but it, it wasn't it was not it's not super clear. to somewhere lava lamp warbed waterbed warbed I sleep on a warbed every night waterbed nude again girl song on the radio uh, so research time song on the radio is the first time ever I saw your face it's the Roberta Flack version 
recorded February 1969, released March 7th, 1972. Several years after. That's a long wait to release this. Mm. But, you know, things were released slower then. I mean, back when I was a kid, you'd go see a film in the cinema and then, like, three years later it came out on video. That's very true, actually. <laughs> Whereas now things like... Instantaneous, yeah. Is that six months later? Yeah. The first time I ever, ever I saw your face was a 1957 folk song written by British political singer-songwriter Ewan McCall for Peggy Seeger, who later became his wife. At the time, the couple were lovers, although McCall was still married to his second wife, Jean Newlove. Oh. Uh, Seeger sang the song when the duo performed in folk covers around Britain. During the 1960s, it was recorded by various folk singers and became a major international hit for Roberta Flack in 1972, winning Grammy Awards for Record of the Year. Isn't that, isn't that cute? Stealing someone's song. <laughs> stealing someone's woman? Stealing somebody's song. song. Someone, stealing somebody's husband? I don't know how it all worked out. Maybe they were it perfectly friendly. Them, I guess, you know? Yeah. Logan checks his nude self in the mirror because, of course, he does. He looks out the window at a past incarnation of New York. He pops on his jeans and three men walk in. Gwen, get dressed, one says to the girl. He argues he didn't sleep with her before doubling down on he actually did many times. Jimmy, she calls him. This is important. How does old Logan remember this? How does he know that he slept with her so many times? He has no memory of his past. The joke—it's—it's it's for a joke. I know, yeah. I get it, but the joke doesn't land because yeah. you know he doesn't—he doesn't remember anything about his past. Screenwriters, all right. <laughs> anyway, anyway, he then demands keys on the uh, on the head guy's car before popping out his bone claws. A thing he seems surprised by, even though future Logan lost his metal claws in the Wolverine, and therefore he should be used to by now. Again. It's confused. Although it? in the future, he's got his metal yeah. claws back somehow. Which never explained, is it? No. It's ha- it's happened. They just they just bad writing again. <laughs> no offense. You say this is the best film. I don't want to pick it. I like apart. Even if you pick it apart, I still like it. It's only little things. I know. <laughs> he then demands the keys. Blah blah blah. Uh, he accidentally pops three holes in the waterbed. A crime the henchmen unload a ton of rounds into him for. He quickly dispatches the men and heads to claim his new car. After Wolverine's small fight with a mob and a waterbed, he exits the building to find Gwen, the girl he just woke up in bed with, sat in Ramon's car. Ramon must have not taken his car security seriously. He asks her to get out and tells her to lay low. Uh, Anyway... Discussion time. We should take a break. It's been quite a lot of things. We're in the past. We're in the past. It's 1973. What do you think so far? How are you feeling at this point? What are you feeling about the differences between the two films so far as well? Because not, not much has changed yet. No, no. It's just, it's, just little, it's just like they've added little extra bits to scenes. It's a very much Terminator feel this from where we get the, like with the entrance. Then he goes back in time, naked, somehow like... He, he happens for, to be naked. That's not quite the same. He, he wants someone's, someone's vehicle. 
It's yeah, very much probably a callbacks to or, or nods to it. I do feel like it's a very Terminator-like intro. The guy with metal yeah. bones yeah. as well. Yeah. The only thing I would like to see, I'd like to see a bit more of the the war at the beginning, like how they got to this. You know, they explained it, but I'd like to see a bit more. Like, mm, mm. I mean, it's kind of like with um, Avengers recently. I, I would have liked to have seen that five-year period, some sort of thing. Or even if they before this, leading up to the fact like, like you like to see yeah. that weird period yeah. between where everything's gone a bit wrong and what that was like. Yeah. Entirely understandable. And it's interesting coming from the Wolverine going to this. The time period between because the Wolverine and then you've got the end cutscene, the end scene, the post credits in the Wolverine. It's like a year after the end of the Wolverine. And then you've got this. So you, there's a couple of giant yeah. time jumps. It'd be nice to see how Professor X and Magneto get together, or how Professor X yeah. is alive again. Yeah. We know how because yeah. we've been following closely enough, but it's got to be confusing for a lot of people still. Um, but seeing them do that big jump, Wolverine's way older. <laughs> well. Let's talk about that. That's the important part. Why is he so much older when nobody else has aged today? He's the one who's supposed to age slower. Not, I mean, I know they're putting the blonde, the grey bits in his hair because it's referencing the comic it came from. But Xavier Magneto was already as old as can be. He couldn't get much older. If he got any older, he'd just fall apart. I guess he's just unlucky. <laughs> it's, like, it's got unlucky with aging. I don't I mean, know. It's weird. Unless you put more makeup on him, I guess. And like, when she's sending him back, she's like, I guess... One of the plus things is you'll look pretty much the same. Yeah. It's like you're the only one who looks any different. <laughs> <laughs> they all look the same yeah. still. Um, it's mad. I don't know. It's one of these funny things where you're too busy trying to reference the the material that you're not really thinking about the characters and how things should actually yeah. work. I don't know. Uh, let's get uh, any other thoughts before we get on. Yeah. No, cool. In the capital, Trask is sitting at a council meeting looking for government approval for his work. It's rejected. Now, let's quickly uh, talk about Trask. Um, he's been in the film already, in the films already. He was in X-Men 3, Last Stand. And what's really interesting about that film is he was played by Bill Duke. He's that, that's the actor's name, I think. Who was... Um, an average-sized, bald, black man. <laughs> what I want to know is what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't mean just like in the canon of the world. I mean, were people really paying attention to their casting choices or their writing choices? You know? I think they were paying attention. No. To <laughs> and you can't argue he's a relative because the age is not so big yeah. a difference. And you can't argue he's... Because they're very drastically different people anyway, like maybe by marriage or something, but maybe they just teleported consciousness in somehow. <laughs> <laughs> somehow. Oh, oh I suppose that's that kind of works as an argument now that we're watching this. Okay, <laughs> well, it always tickled me that like, when we were watching the third film, I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> that's a very different man. Um, I hope somebody was. Fired for that blunder. Um, meanwhile, 
on the farm in Saigon. Uh, a colonel enters a quarantine tent filled with mutant soldiers, including Alex Summers. Pour one out for Alex Summers. A young man walks in and claims these men are going with him to Trask Industries. Looking at his dog tags, we see the major is William Bloody Striker again. This man never knows when to quit. When to quit? <laughs> He's only just getting started. <laughs> I just don't know why they keep obsessively going back to this one character. It, it, it doesn't even make it, it doesn't even be with it. It could be anyone, like literally, it could be anyone. Yeah. Like, it could be any soldier. Like the only bit that works is is a split second thing that happens later. But could, they could have come up with another reason for it to yeah. have happened. Yeah. Like literally, they literally could have had any name. They could have been any random name soldier, like. <laughs> or any any other type yeah. of character. He could be leading just the science yeah. division of some sort of company, whatever. And technically, he is. Uh, the colonel is Mystique. She assaults the military men, and the mutants in the room help. One with, like, the symbol for like toxic substances. I think that's what it's called. On his hand, which makes two people vomit. Yeah. Um, one with quills, it causes three to just collapse for no reason. And one, like Toad, who I assume is supposed to be Toad, but he's very different looking, who uses his tongue to take another man's gun. He's, he's the most interesting looking one. Hmm. The Toad looking one, because all the rest is look. Kind, kind of, yeah. Um, it's interesting that this guy's mutation vomit guy would be the symbol for people getting infected by toxic stuff like because what was that based on him existing previously you know or maybe he's doing it oh it's stuck it won't come off oh now it's moving whenever I use my powers and I just happen to make people sick whatever they just pick. They just pick random powers and be like, and yeah, just make it. Dr- we need, just we need do a couple something. of fight. We need five people just randomly. What can we do? Like, mm-hmm. um, Alex prevents Mystique from killing the major, as she puts the mutants on a plane home, and she changes in plain sight in front of everyone, from a man to a young woman. The only part about this scene annoying me is that when he goes out of sight, sees the plane taking off. He could have easily turned that plane around. <laughs> like he just, he's lazy. <laughs> <laughs> he could easily turn up playing around because he's like, mm. if he's high rank there, because they said call someone. He he doesn't work for the military though. He's like, he's not. Uh, like a third party, isn't he? Um, this is the start of her not wanting to be blue in these films. By the way, this is the, the point where she's just like, I'm over it already. Cut to the Xavier Mansion, dilapidated. Logan arrives and knocks on the door. A non-blue beast answers. He says the school's closed and the professor isn't there. But Logan forces himself in anyway. Beast follows, questioning Logan, until Logan punches him in the face. And Beast turns blue and chases after Logan up the stairs, tossing him back into the hallway. In the middle of the fight, Charles arrives, able to walk, and convinces Beast to calm down and get off the chandelier. Logan tries to explain he's from the future and convinces Charles with some juicy Charles facts <laughs> and explains they need to stop Raven. In Charles's office, Logan covers the history of the future. Which is a sentence I didn't think I was going to say today. Uh, Sentinels hunting mutants. 
then potential mutants, then humans dared to help. He also explains they need Magneto. Charles eventually tells Logan to... Yeah, fuck off. Fuck it. It was pretty aggressive fuck off as well. He was waiting for the chance to say that. Is that one you told me before? Fuck off, man. <laughs> Although Logan doesn't say that. He says, go fuck yourself. Yeah. That's his catchphrase. <laughs> I never would have thought that's how the Wolverine character would be portrayed in films as a <laughs> smart-talking guy who says, go fuck yourself. Anyway. Beast explains that Charles was broken by loss and the school's closure by the start of the Vietnam War. The serum Hank makes helps him control his beast form, but also Charles's suppress his powers. It also somehow cures a spinal injury caused by a bullet wound. This is the part of like, why can't he just do cure his spine? I sound like, if he can make that drug. Yeah, yeah, his bad back is nothing to do with his mutant powers. <laughs> But Char- they, they assume that is in this. This yeah. like Charles is an addict as well as he's a, he's a metaphor for an addict, but he's also just an addict. As he shoots up, he looks at a shot of Raven, taken from the first bar scene in First Class, and we hear the first time they met. After a while, Charles agrees to help, but finds it hard to believe they can convince Eric. To which Logan said, he sent them back as well. What do you think so far? I quite like this sort of scene of Professor X being an addict. The way they've got like, a belt around his arm, like, he's shooting up. They want to make it a bit more yeah. gritty sort of character yeah. world for, for these films, specifically. And it shows that Professor X is broken at this point. Completely, like, lost compared to his future self. He's just, like, mm. got, his, got his shit together, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um... And it's interesting, Beast still rejecting the whole looking like a beast thing. Although the beast hit that was in first class looks so laughable. Uh, so I don't blame him. Anything about Mystique not wanting to be in a costume, it, make, it kind of breaks her character in a way. Because she's all about being proud and blue. And the actress obviously not wanting to be like... <laughs> I don't think that's the phrase she uses. <laughs> but you know I mean? Proud and blue. <laughs> She, her whole character is about being a, proud of being a mutant right. and not disguising your like yeah, yeah, yeah. not being hooded from the world like yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she spends most of the time at, like proud and blue she's proud and blue <laughs> oh dear but she spends most of this movie like in her real, uh, real life or hmm. I guess her uh, just looking yeah. like the actress, actress yeah yeah, yeah. They, they didn't really yeah. explain to her what the role was going to entail and uh, she's regretted signing up for it, you can tell. I mean, yeah. It is what it is. It is what it is, yeah. Um, we see Eric held in a white room. The boys talk. He's apparently held 100 floors below the Pentagon. He's been arrested for killing JFK, or the president. Logan says he knows a man who can help. Cut to an office. Trask walking through under heavy orange light. In the scene aping X-Men 2, we see Mystique as she goes through files. We know how we love Mystique file scenes. She turns her thumb into his and unlocks a secret wall behind a painting. How does she know what his fingerprint is? Magic. It's magic, okay, cool. His receptionist 
heads up with some paperwork to create tension. Mystique sees plans for the Sentinels and a folder marked autopsy results. Looking through, she sees some faces. One, a man with a scorpion tattoo. G. Ferd... Uh, I don't know who that is. I didn't get, didn't research these as I should have. I may do later. You never know. Number two, a lizard skin man. E. Kephart. Again, didn't research it. I'm guessing they're probably some random people anyway because they're not going to be amazing Yeah, but they, they, they could have put the names on yeah. of some of the references. I, I'm not so down with understanding all the X-Men references, so I, I, forgive me if you do know. Three, Azazel. Uh, and four, Angel, from the f last film. Missing half her wings and her head shaved. She's had her brain sort of looked at, probably. She's interrupted by his receptionist and turns quickly back into Trask, unable to hide a single tear. Our three mutant boys arrive at a house in the suburbs. The postbox reading Maximoff. A woman answers the door asking what he's done now. While the ex-boys visit the Maximoff house, Logan has a brief interaction with a small girl, her mom telling her to go upstairs and bug her sister. I swear this is not new when I watched the podcast. I swear this, I've never seen this scene before. And she's right. <laughs> yeah. And obviously they just wanted to cut out yeah. the wonder sort of references, yeah. essentially. Um... But the sister upstairs, Wanda, not the little girl. Yeah. People confuse the little girl for Wanda. But there, there was three kids in that family in the comics, I think. Technically. Um, there's only two that are famous. But I'm sure there's some sort of reference to a third. Anyway, the boys head downstairs to meet Peter. Peter. Specifically important we say that. His name is Peter. They find him playing table tennis with himself. He, he talks to them and plays Pong at high speed with himself, which is impossible because his being fast wouldn't make the Pong ball travel faster on the screen. And it's moot because he's got a ping pong table for real, which he was just playing. Logan then shows him his claws and the crew are on their way. Like, do you want to play in the point of break in the Pentagon? He's like, what? Yeah. I'm down for that. <laughs> That's we need to get one day. We need to get some Patreon money together. I'll put Patreon links at the end of the episode, and we need to fund a movie that is a recreation of one of these films, just cast by you, because I think your your versions of these scenes. Oh, That's like when literally like <laughs> amazing. All right, uh, what do you think so far? I mean. That's how I little did that. Like they showed the cut, they showed the doormat. And yeah, it was, it's like, got like, it was skin yeah, like. But the little touches yeah. like that, I like, appreciate. Um, I love uh, like his character is a really interesting sort of breath of fresh air compared to everything else that's been going on. But he's also very different from everything else that's been going on. So it feels like what what is right. this? It's very out of something else. But um, I can appreciate him being there. Yeah. We'll get onto more about him later, but you know, um, yeah, it's it's interesting as well, knowing that at this time, the Marvel stuff is happening, 
and they're just about to write and introduce them in that. Kind of makes you wish Marvel had him back then. To an extent. I feel like the new Marvel, I don't know. I'm, I, don't, I don't. The new stuff on Marvel now is a bit, I don't know. It's not as high quality as they... Really? I, I, well, personally, I don't think like... Mm-hmm. I feel like they kind of dropped a bit of quality. I don't know why. It's just... Maybe we should talk about that sometime. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't hate this stuff, but I don't. You know, it's not the same as like the OG stuff they made. I don't know. I feel like hmm. like for me, Wonder was not a great. No, Doctor Strange Multiverse. I thought it was very disappointing. Interesting. It was like I, th- I think Wonder Vision was. Wonder Vision was good, but but then re yeah. bringing her back in after the resolution of yeah. Wonder Vision. Kind of muddies some of the continuation flow. She works as a great sort of surprise character position in that film, and seeing this sort of powerful force doing things and being unstoppable, and it's her own conscience again that stops her really. But then the character that has the revelation starts controlling their powers in it, who prevents her from doing any further damage they're way less powerful than she is and maybe it's the dichotomy of real power and once again Doctor Strange films like in that first film he's, he doesn't kill to solve the problem he comes up with another solution and again it's like him coming up with another solution it feels like um, but I can see the sort of it's becoming messy in some places yeah. but that's a discussion for another yeah. time I think yeah. <laughs> we, we will maybe one day when we've got a bit of flow do the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but we'll save stuff for the yeah. future when it comes to the <laughs> show. That's too big at this time. Um, later, the Pentagon. Bank heist time. So, research time, by the way. 11th September 1941, the Pentagon's construction began. The Pentagon is the headquarters uh, building of the United States Department of Defense Pentagon, large five-sided building in Arlington County, Virginia, near Washington, D.C., that serves headquarters for the U.S. Department of Defense, including all three military services, Army, Navy, and Air Force. Pentagon was intended to consolidate the offices of the War Department, which had occupied 17 separate facilities throughout Washington. Although President Franklin D. Roosevelt initially favoured a building without windows to protect it from potential air raids. He was later convinced by building engineers that such a facility would be impractical. He eventually supported a five-sided design by George Edwin Bergstrom. At its completion, at a cost of $83 million in January 1943, the Pentagon was the world's largest office building covering 29 acres, 12 hectares, including a five-acre central court and containing roughly, uh, uh, how well are we, uh, 3,700,000 square feet, 344,000 square meters of usable floor space for approximately 25,000 people. Amazing how, well, I won't say, but how... Cheap that would be compared to how much that costs point nowadays to make that, that I mean, building. It, you know? They always say inflation, but yeah, yeah. even then, yeah, yeah it's yeah, way you know, cheaper. Because they would they would just add charges on nowadays. 
And also there'd be the gaps where nobody was working. Yeah, I'd I'd be fascinated to see it. Uh, In America, still highly segregated by race, the Pentagon's planners found it necessary to design the building with separate facilities for black and white employees, including white and coloured cafeterias for uh, construction crews, 284 bathrooms, twice the number needed for anticipated staff levels. However, in June 1941, President Roosevelt issued Executive Order 8802, which prohibited segregation among federal employees. So they built it, and then it was like, straight away. I bet that went down like he let boom among some people. If we out, I can imagine the outrage. Like, I've got to share my bathroom with coloured people. Unbelievable. <laughs> different times. Different, yeah, well, <laughs> different times. Like. Yeah, different, but not so different no. for over there, sadly. No. I mean, you know, over here in many places. Yeah. Uh, I want some of the things I've heard the last couple of weeks. Anyway. Uh, the boys join a tour in order to get basic access to the building. Some kids need to pee. Pee sticks with the tour group as the boys slip off down a stairway. They're immediately on camera, but no one notices or cares. Some time after this, Beast finally uses some sort of TV signal jamming device to make the American sitcom Sanford and Son appear on the monitors. Sanford and Son, for anybody who doesn't know, is just a remake of Steptoe and Son. No classic, really. classic British sitcom. Standard American still sitcoms. <laughs> and everything else. <laughs> our actors, everything else. Um, our <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, guards are collecting food for, from a special kitchen that connects directly to a lift that connects to a corridor that connects to a cell where Eric is held. So it's his special exclusive kitchen. Because it's 100 floors down. I love how they got this special, all this money as you're pumping into protecting him. Like, and it must have cost a fortune to build that whole plastic thing on the ground. Because I don't think I was there before. Like, no, well, <laughs> it must be a fortune because a guard is having a great time watching the intro to the show on the monitors upstairs as Peter appears next to the food guard and steals his clothes and gear. Making his way to the cell door, it slides back to reveal the entrance to Eric's cell. How this works when it's made of concrete and sand, God knows. <laughs> It's like this massive sliding door. What's moving that? What could be strong enough to move that except for maybe massive metal cogs and gears, which Eric could influence? doesn't make sense. It's plastic. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> they break it three times, they got to put new ones on. He's <laughs> just some guys who's just walking along, putting it from inside the walls. They've got a juggernaut behind her. <laughs> oh, dear. Um... Uh, Peter drops Eric's food off with a little note as the boys just casually walk into the same kitchen. Peter, meanwhile, vibrates a glass so fast that it eventually smashes. This sets off an alarm and causes a massive... What's running running the the alarm? That's got to be made of metal as well. Anyway, this uh, sets off an alarm, causes a massive concrete door block to slide back into place, trapping both men easily. Credits. Credits. Film's over there. Upstairs, tour guide is discussing the taking of Iwo Jima in World War Two, as Beast sets off the fire sprinklers. 
Peter braces Eric for the escape and speeds the pair past guards. We plash. <laughs> there was only one downstairs before, so the rest of the guards had to have used the lift with the other guard taped to the wall and then gone to the big moving block door to greet the two men to get there. Uh, you can say that about it's all Yeah, right. he, he, is he supposed to be? Yeah, he's fine. We can't untape him. His clothes are missing. In the lift, Eric tells Peter about JFK. He was a mutant. No, he didn't. We, don't, we haven't done it yet. <laughs> That's later. Don't <laughs> spoil us. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, finally in the kitchen, Charles fails to clear the guards until Logan knocks them out with a frying pan. Lift opening, Charles punches Eric in the face. After Charles convinces Eric to agree to not killing, a group of plastic gun-carrying guards... When did they get this tech, by the way? 3D printers. Actually, I only back then, but... Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Moulds, at least. Uh, enter the kitchen and prepare to take out the boys. Eric asks Charles to just freeze them, but Charles reveals that he can't. Just as we're about to go ahead with the fight, everything slows down and music. Time in a Bottle by Jim Croce uh, was released as a single in 1973, recorded in January-March 1972. Uh, that's not a month, I mean the period of January to March. Uh, the song appeared in his 1972 ABC debut album, You Don't Mess Around With Jim and was featured in the 1973 ABC made-for-television sh- movie She Lives! Exclamation point. She Lives! ABC originally did not intend to release the song as a single, but when Croce was killed in a plane crash in September 1973, its lyrics, dealing with mortality and the wish to have more time, had an additional resonance. The song subsequently received a large amount of airplay as the album... Uh, as an album track and demand for a single release built. When it was eventually issued as a 7-inch, it became his second and final number one hit. Posthumous. Um, it's interesting that they chose that. I think they chose that song because it has the word time in it. Not really referencing the, the context of the films and the songs together. But Peter comically runs around the room and takes out the guards. There's a copy of the Washington Post floating around. There's lots of copies of the Washington Post in this film. Uh, the date, I couldn't spot, but the headline, Tree Supervisors Belittled by Thin. Um, I checked Washington Post history and stuff. I can't find it, the accurate date or anything for it. I think it's a sort of made-up version of the Washington Post. It makes sense if it's a made-up version. But they could easily have recreated it because there's loads of... Uh, images of the Washington Post from the days after this because of the peace treaty um, discussion time what do you think of all that the heist quite like the heist actually it's quite a fun little scene it's a lot less heisty yeah. than you think like the only person who actually does anything aside from Wolverine with a frying pan is Peter yeah because Peter does all, Peter pretty much does all the work he, will, he, he gets in without Anybody noticing. And he does everything in the lift. And then he gets him out of the, the prison. And then he takes out all the guards. It's like when he's holding his neck though. Is that what he did that for? <laughs> to whiplash. And, like... uh, and there's the quiet 
nod to my mom used to know a guy who could move metal. Oh yeah, that was like yeah, and then they have to make that more blatant later. But anyway, um, that con artist that could move metal. But yes, yeah, it's, it's, it was good. It was, yeah. It's fun. It's fun. But it's it's very again very out of place. He's just brought in for this bit and then he's out again. I don't like yeah because I feel like they should have kept him on for the whole. But it, okay. he was overpowered. I guess that is true. You yeah. can literally do anything. The others do nothing to get yeah. Eric out. They just happen to be there. Yeah. Like the cameras thing didn't even need to happen. Like if if Logan and Eric, oh sorry, Logan and Xavier never went down into the kitchen. It still would have turned out no, the same. Yeah. <laughs> you know? they, they didn't influence anything. Really. Yeah. Um, private airfield. The boys are heading to Paris as Peter leaves. He doesn't stay in the film as he would be overpowered. Uh, Magneto gets a newspaper blocked by Logan. The paper reads, Washington Post again, pardon me, peace treaty to be signed in Paris. God, this drink's making me hiccup now. <laughs> International agreement will end war in Vietnam. Uh, Vietnam Peace Treaty, Paris, nineteen seventy-three, January twenty-seventh. So we know it's like a day or two before that. So it must be January twenty-fifth for those who can't keep up. Logan tells Eric where he's from, as in the future. Uh, during the fight, Eric asks, "How did you lose them?" To which Charles answers. Presumptuously, the treatment for my legs affects my DNA. Eric then replies, You sacrificed your powers so you could walk. Note, that's not what he said. Both of them are jumping to conclusions about what the other one's saying first. And then Charles says he sacrificed his powers so he could sleep. Pairs start arguing as if they had known each other for decades before Eric left, but in first class they'd known each other for a few days at the best. Yeah, like they aren't old friends; they just happen to have known each other for a very brief period. Uh, That's one of the big failings of first class: is they didn't really build a a real relationship between them. They just met, and suddenly there was a real relationship. Yeah. Uh, Pairs start fighting. Blah blah blah. Eric lists all the previous characters and we hear a list of the mutants not returning. Um, Banshee, dead, and already confirmed Angel, uh, Azazel, and uh, Emma Frost. All gone. All dead. Uh, As Magneto messes up the plane. Cut to Paris. Um, this French cover by Claude Francois uh, of Stop in the Name of Love by Diana Ross and the Supremes 1965 was released in 1971 uh, there's not much more to say that he, when he died he was the president at the time of France so it made him a national hero really? he, he said he was the French equivalent of the Beatles oh. <laughs> to them 
Uh, fireworks, Paris, disco. The Russians and Vietnamese are celebrating ahead of the peace accords the next day. Uh, a Vietnamese general heads to the bar for some more drinks to find an American woman leaning against the bar with a drink, which he then promptly accidentally knocks over. He buys her a drink, Johnny Walker, and they end up at a hotel? Question mark. Might, might just be his room somewhere else, but I assume he doesn't live there, so it's got to be a hotel. He comments on her interest in politics, somehow forgetting she's a translator. Yeah. So she probably has to be there for a part of the peace accords. At least that's her cover, obviously. Anyway, in an awkward English, he inquires about her clothes coming off. <laughs> she obliges by turning self blue. Well, herself and her clothes, not, but not a coat. Yeah, it's an odd one to think about. We've never actually addressed the the blue nude woman thing in the room, right? Sometimes she changes clothes. Sometimes it's just the person in them. She seemingly can shrink and grow at will, is and is superhumanly strong. I mean, it's fine being proud of who you are, but why are you always nude? She's blue and proud. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's fine. I mean, it's just an odd one. Uh, she presses like superpowers, even mutant powers, don't affect your clothes. I don't think. I guess you've heard it does because she. I don't know. <sighs> does the, if she puts clothes on, and then she changes, does she forget she changed yeah, yeah. some clothes? Do they end up being absorbed into her flesh? You'd never want to yeah. wear jeans. You think, oh, no. magic. That's what it is. Isn't it? Yeah, sure, magic. Movie magic. Back on the private jet. Um, oh wait, she presses her foot up against the guy's throat. He passes out. In both versions, you hear slightly different audio, but he's snoring, essentially. He's not dead. Yeah, to confirm that he's not been murdered yet. Because canon-wise, she's not officially killed anyone before this. Back on the private jet, Eric brings over a chess set, and Charles enjoys a drink, giving the olive branch of a game. Eric, enjoying a drink too, tells Charles he was attempting to save the president. He reveals he was one of them, a mutant. And Charles, after a brief moment, is immediately on board and apologetic. He just believes him outright and apologises. Yeah, it must be true. Yeah. Quite why we need JFK to have been a mutant for his life to be worth saving, I don't know. Even if JFK wasn't a mutant, would Eric have allowed his death? Even exploited it. <laughs> Who knows? He could have been a mutant ally. And how did there was a mutant in the first place? Does that mean if if every president who isn't a mutant is around, he'd just kill them? Yeah. But how did Eric know he was a mutant? Though? Did he get this information for like? We all just just have to take it as face value. Face. At this point, Eric is not hooked into his. He's sort of just a rogue. Yeah. I mean, research, I suppose. Yeah. Maybe he was watching, maybe Mystique walked in, watched the president change and he had a tail or something. <laughs> Who knows? Charles then asks about Raven, twice asking, how was she? Question. Twice Eric, not seeming to understand the question. The two men sit and enjoy another chess game. The one running theme in this series, aside from the characters. Cut to the next day. A news report that is apparently using footage filmed on a Super 8 camera. <laughs> we see Trask head into the conference. 
and a meeting with delegates from outside of America, once again attempting to sell his Sentinel program. What, uh, uh, outside we see the X-Boys arrive. That's what we're going to call them. The X-Boys. The X-Boys. As we cut back and forth between them heading in and Trask's sales pitch. The Sentinel's guidance system is apparently a baby monitor, by the looks of it. It is. Yeah. It was cheap for a props department. Trask turns on his device and immediately it detects a mutant in the room. Handily, it's the general from the hotel room. And even more handily, he was sitting on the other side of the table directly across from Trask. Not on either side with any of the other people, just he's the one guy in front of him. Luckily, our good old ex-boys are there to distract him. Um, Several men try and take out the man and Trask tells them not to shoot it, which is an interesting choice. And uh, Mystique quickly turns into, well, herself. Uh, taking out the men and putting a gun on Trask. Uh, the distraction from the boys turning up is just long enough for Stryker, who happens to be there, to shoot her with a taser, which Eric quickly flings back into Stryker's chest, pinning him to the floor in an endless electrocution loop. Logan, while Charles is confronting, comforting Raven, notices Stryker on the floor. He has a flash forwards backwards to Brian Cox Stryker, uh, Origins Wolverine Stryker doesn't pop up. He's been uh, wiped Excuse from me, Yeah. At the same time, Eric plunks Mystique's gun up from where it fell and points it at her, uh, meaning to kill her, we assume. His logic being, as long as she's out there, everyone else is in danger. So she runs and Beast tackles Eric. Not that it stops him, as he just fires the gun mid-air. The bullet curves midair as she leaps out of the window, hitting her in the leg, causing her to crash to the ground. Meanwhile, back in the far future, but at the same time somehow, Key is having problem holding on to Logan, who suddenly begins flailing his arms, claws out, catching Kitty in the side. After quite a bit of time with him doing this, like it's ages he's waving his claws around, Old Magneto pins Logan down and says to restrain him. Why he can't just do it himself? I wanted this to check away. He's like, he's like, <laughs> yeah. He must have been napping for a second. Yeah. He is old. <laughs> oh, oh, Charles. Charles. Oh, <laughs> restrain him. You see, this scene doesn't really make sense in the original cut because I guess it adds a bit of a like. Yeah, it makes yeah, a lot more yeah, sense yeah, in the yeah, road yeah. cut, like. Why they have this in yeah, there? Like... Yeah, it makes sense why it's there. <laughs> yeah. I think they just enjoyed the moment where he's freaking out yeah. in the past as his old self. And Charles makes that line where he's on acid. Yeah. And so they kept it in. Um, Trask escapes. Eric steals the Sentinel plans, chasing after Mystique, as she, in the middle of the open air in front of hundreds of people, turns into a woman in the front row of the barricades. Yeah. Best disguise choice. Meanwhile, Beast begins to well beast up. Eric pulls Raven by the by the bullet in her leg, dragging her to him and yanking it out. Meanwhile, Logan, past Logan, is freaking out in the past, unaware of how he's come to be in the middle of a hotel in Paris during the Paris Peace Accords with two men he doesn't know and a convulsing general on the floor. Logan, seeing a now more beastly beast, freaks out, even though past in the past, he has absolutely seen mutants of all kinds by this point, 
because he was working yeah. and doing all sorts of things in war and he knows Sabretooth, wherever the fuck he is at this point. He's got claws or whatever. Yeah, he, like, he knows what mutants are. He's seen weirder, yet somehow Beast freaks him out. <laughs> uh, Beast heads out after Mags and Raven. Giles, who's done nothing until now, explains to him that he's having a bad trip. That's how he explains it. You took a bad acid trip. You had a bad acid trip. Like, Somebody's giving you some acid. I'm hit, you made, you yeah. pulled me out all the way over here because you had a bad acid trip. I believed you. Like uh, Beast and Eric have a fight in the fountain. Eric nearly drowning until he uses part of the fountain structure to restrain Beast. Meanwhile, also, Stryker manages to free himself and escape, getting a good glimpse at Logan's bone claws as he does. Back in the future, Kitty is struggling to restrain Logan and keep him grounded in the past. Bobby Ice shows concern for her. Back in the past, both Raven, now an old man, and Eric, now a young Eric, head into the crowd in the streets of Paris, while Beast is observed by the people of Paris, taking pictures as they do. He quickly breaks free, all limbs at once, somehow, before bounding into the streets too. So that was a bit of a clusterfuck, wasn't it? What do you think so far? What do you quite think like, of this chunk? I quite like the fight between Magneto and Beast. It was a bit of a rough and ready yeah. fight. And I, I like the fact that Magneto stuck him up there because obviously Beast is all about he hates himself. So that would even enforce in his mind even more that people don't like him because they're mocking him, taking pictures of him. Like hmm. You can see where he's like this rock, like with war cry. Like, he's just a monster. Yeah. yeah. It's feeding into the... Yeah. Hysteria that could happen yeah. as a consequence, yeah. and the, the this being that the change should have been they saved Trask's life, but instead everything's gone wrong, and this is where potentially everything could be worse because now they everybody's going to hate mutants. Um, it's an interesting sort of turning point. The all is lost moment, I think. Um, side note: Didn't Logan lose his claws, the metal parts, a while ago? So, uh, how's he cut her with his metal claws now? As we previously discussed, yes. I know, but yeah. But I feel like this whole scene was just—it makes more sense in the road cut. It doesn't make—it doesn't make sense in the. Yes, this is where we start seeing proper divergence <laughs> yeah. between the two versions of this film. Um, we'll talk about what we think of both yeah. films overall in a minute. Uh, we get to see another news report as Nixon watches at the White House. After watching the events in Paris on the news reports, we join President Nixon as he drops the film's second F-bomb before being debriefed on the day's events. There's only one F-bomb in the film otherwise. It's quite, uh, quite a good F-bomb. Uh, being briefed by several men, including Trask, somehow allowed in the room, because Trask isn't actually part of the America, the president's you know, team, um, along with Stryker, both independent agents, Nixon gives Trask the funding he needs to, and plans to make a demonstration. After getting the go-ahead from Nixon, Trask requests Raven is kept alive for his uses, to which Nixon says, I don't care who you screw as long as it isn't me. That was a pretty good. That was a pretty good Nixon, everybody. We see human-looking Raven being pa patched up by a nurse, and they discuss the blue woman on TV. 
Meanwhile, in a hotel, Eric is using a desk lamp and the bottom of a glass. He's looking at the projected Trask plans on the wall. While he sews up the back of his own head without looking. It's an interesting visual. But I can barely cut my own hair without looking. So how is he doing it so well? I mean, he's being able to control magnets or magnetism or metal with magnetism. Doesn't make it easier for him to see the wound on his head. He's just cutting through his brain. Needle. Needle food. Needle. <laughs> it would do. <laughs> that's that's better. <laughs> he notices on the TV a news report showing Raven's blood being swabbed on the street. Uh, the next day, Eric, passing through a train underground metro station, is accosted by Raven. He attempts to explain his actions and attempts to convince her to work with him to strike humans. Mystique plans to kill Trask still. Eric, a few more than that. Back at the mansion, somehow they got there really quickly, Charles falls just as the boys return. His treatment is waning. The voices are returning to his mind. And Logan takes the opportunity to convince Charles to use his returning powers to link with Cerebro and find Raven. Cut to a lab somewhere. Trask is observing Raven's unique cells under a microscope, rippling and transforming in blue, even though the sample is red blood. Shouldn't she have blue blood if her cells are all blue? It's very <laughs> he says he needs more organs. That's kind of much creepy, doesn't he? Yeah, a little. Uh, we get a reference to Stryker's son, Jason. Because we have to be reminded of that. Uh, uh, doomed to become a test subject himself. And obviously the line Stryker says in Origins. He admires them. Is the line that Trask says here. And we see some lovely purple sentinels. Loaded into shipping containers. Eric lurking in the shadows in a hard hat. He's like, you'll be mine soon. Uh, back in... <laughs> Like it. Back in the mansion, we see a shockingly modern X-Mansion basement level. With fully completed Cerebro. Quite how they built it this soon after forming the school is impossible to tell, but Charles heads into the machine and attempts to use it. Because obviously they didn't have it before now. And Eric helped him build it, but Eric's already been gone. And it wasn't, up for ages, it wasn't built before. It doesn't go well. And the, for that cerebro to like. Yeah. Uh, and the power is knocked out to the building. Hank goes to check on things. And Logan allows Eric to look in his mind as part of a pep talk. A loop starting. We see the flashes of Logan through the series past installments, including X-Men, X2, Origins, Wolverine, and Last Stand. You get a little bit of Origins, Wolverine, okay. so it's still considered canon. So that striker. So I, still, it's not I don't know. Maybe it's too soon. Maybe there's nothing interesting there. Maybe they didn't have the footage available. I don't want to know. Would they? Would they? Yeah. Who knows? It was all filmed around the same time, right? Logan tells him to go into his now future, teleporting Charles into his self into Logan's future body, where an astral version of Charles talks to future Charles telepathically. I quite like this part, though. I like the like, intent, but it's very confusing how the they get there. The way they're just sitting there, like, opposite each other. 
um, old Charles attempts to show past Charles the hope he still has for humanity. All humanity. Past Charles returns to the past and, and Charles hops back into the machine. Somewhere else, a train is transporting the Sentinels. Eric meets with the cargo train, stripping metal tracks from the line, splitting them somehow into thinner metal strands and feeding them into the Sentinels' core parts, including the mutant tracking device. Um, let's have a little chat about all this. How do you think he knows how they work? I mean, I know he's got the plans, but I'm not sure they, that means that he can strip metal from a railing and then use that to reprogram a robot. He's always assumed it wasn't reprogrammed. He's just controlling them with his magnetism. Yes, but, but then later on, they activate it and they follow. His, it's very confusing what's going on there. Because at first I assumed it was just like it was puppeteering. Pop, yeah, yeah. It, it, pop, like which would make more sense because he could put, he could do that. Like, yeah. but we're not actually turning them on. Like. It would be hilarious <laughs> if they'd done it like they were marionettes and <laughs> yeah. so they're walking around shooting people. Yeah, it's very confusing um, how it's supposed to work. But uh, sure. sure, it's quite a good scene though, where he's like, it's whipping, nice, up, it's whipping, nice. up, whipping up all the vowels. Like, it's interesting with in the normal theatrical cut, it's probably the best Magneto thing because mm. every film is a Magneto scene where he's stealing the film. Mm. <laughs> he has the best scene in every film, and for the theatrical cut, he doesn't really have the best scene in theatrical cut there's the bit later on where he does something bigger but this is like the one shot him doing one thing by himself and he's manipulating his powers it's interesting the music is a bit on the nose and all that but you know um but uh, yeah this doesn't make sense how it all works how did no one notice that train that the tracks are being pulled up behind them oh he's behind them it's not like they've got mirrors to yeah. check if somebody coming around like a car would um no no that's, I, I just yeah I'm fine with that part yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a fun enough bit. And we're getting that flashback and the Charles bit where he's coming to terms with his future, encouraging himself. It's almost like the future him is telling him something that he needs to know. And when you go back, what would you say to yourself in a past sort of thing? That's what Charles is doing that scene like. Mm -hmm. To hurry on a process, because he knows eventually he's going to get to where he's at in the future, but... The speed of the he can't believe yeah. it in himself until he sees <laughs> yeah. it for himself. Yeah. yeah. Back in the far future, we see X-Men and women guarding outside in the cold. Bobby, concerned for Kitty, nearly attempts to wake Logan for her sake before Professor X explains he has seen the past and how things are changing. Currently, maybe for the worse. In the aftermath of Wolverine's mid-sleep freakout with Kitty gravely wounded, Bobby shares his concerns over her ability to keep going. Bobby suggests using someone else to step in and use Kitty's powers in her place, Rogue. Charles, old Charles, assumes she's dead, his having been unable to reach her for years. But Bobby says that is because she's being kept in Cerebro. Bobby tells Kitty that he's going to go and bring someone to help, but she just asks he bring himself back before they kiss. Then airport passed. Raven is waiting for a fight. Flight, not fight, but still. 
when a lady sat behind her begins to address her. She makes an attempt to flee. Charles talks via several people around her. Eventually, he projects himself into the room, attempting to speak directly to her, but she chooses not to listen, and then twists his choice of words to imply a different intent as a defence against coming off the path. He briefly thinks they have failed, and with some slight nudging from Logan, walks back to see where the flight she was taking was heading, Washington, D.C. Hank then says he has something to show them. <laughs> this is where we get complicated. After attempting to talk to Raven telepathically at the airport, Charles, unable to figure out where she could be going, goes to rest. That night, at the mansion, Beast checks on Logan in a spare room. He tells Logan that cigars give you cancer. He is curious about what happens to him. Logan lets him know gently that he doesn't make it. Later that same night, having changed to a completely different outfit to watch TV, Star Trek, and the news at the same time, Beast sees a news report about the president's planned announcement. He then hears the sound and heads to the front door to check it out, and wouldn't you believe it, it's Raven. She must have changed her mind and come back after all. Credits? The two talk as Beast patches up Raven's leg. The two share a passionate moment in front of the fire, which Beast brings a stop to and quickly heads to bed. Fade to the future, the mansion. Xavier talks through the underground layout as Eric and Bobby make their way in. Cut to past Magneto, swapping himself through the gate at the Pentagon. Back to the future as old Magneto breaks through the reinforced wall. He and Bobby walk in as old Magneto looks down at where they would need to break through. In the past, we see a shot from above of young Eric walking deep into the Pentagon. Then old Eric buckling the metal floor using the makeshift platform to lower himself and Bobby in. As young Eric steps down into the next floor, pulling out his metal balls. <laughs> old Eric and Bobby stride towards Cerebro. Young Eric twirls his orbs and makes his way deeper. Moving closer to the door. He flings the projectiles at two unsuspecting guards, spinning them around a third before crushing them into both sides of his cranium when he attempts to reach for the phone. Then, using his powers to open a large metal reinforced door, the doors of Cerebro slide open to reveal the sight of two people dressed in surgical gear. A victim on the table, old Magneto plucking their unused instruments from the nearby tables and suspending them menacingly in front of their faces, as Bobby quickly races to Rogue's side. Eric finds the display of his helmet, Havoc's old costume, and one of Lady Angel's wings. The surgeons flee as Bobby desperately attempts to wake Rogue. Eric surveys the display. As a last resort, Bobby pulls off his glove and gives a little energy to revive Rogue. Eric suddenly notices a fourth item on display in the cabinet, a Nazi coin, still coated in blood. Bobby calms Rogue's shock at seeing Eric. 
as he plucks the helmet out of its gaudy display. Her straps pinging off freeing her for the escape. The helmet gently drifting into its master's hand. The three leave, but too late as Charles detects a lift lowering to greet them. Its overstuffed casing cracking open to reveal a sentinel arm grasping the door frame. The group makes a hobbling escape attempt as metallic spears strike repeatedly through the floor. Bobby passes Rogue to Eric as he does his best to hold back the mechanized monster. But alas, two more join the fray. Their beams blowing his hand asunder and his insides to oblivion. This also results in igniting a ruptured gas line blowing the corridor and its inhabitants. Eric and Rogue make it to the Blackbird, but before they can escape, an engulfed sentinel chambers onto the cockpit. Xavier punching the jet into high gear and leaving the sentinel tumbling through the air. Meanwhile, in the past mansion, Raven, hobbling in looking like Charles, enters Cerebro, smashing its helmet. The Blackbird returns to the shrine. Charles, Eric, and Rogue approach Kitty and Logan. She, shaking, asks where Bobby is, but it is met with an apology from Rogue. Broken, Kitty crumbles into exhausted sobs before Rogue slides a hand onto hers and takes her power in order to take over the task for which she's no longer able. Logan, woken up by this change, feels her presence. Just as Beast informs Logan Raven was there, unable to track her with Cerebro, Beast takes the boys into his lab. And now we've caught up with the original theatrical cut. It's not a good scene, though, the way they, they, they jump. We'll get to that yeah. later. <laughs> we'll get, but it's a very, very good scene. Like, we'll, we'll get to that. We've already talked about Magneto having the best scenes in the films. <laughs> in Hank's workspace, this is the normal cut. Now, we're back to normal cut. Let's have a break. In Hank's workspace, he has rigged up a recording device to monitor all the available TV stations. We see a clip from an episode of Star Trek, which we mentioned earlier. I didn't get a chance to check which episode this was. Otherwise, I'd have checked for an air date. It probably doesn't match up with the real date. Hank explains a theory in quantum physics that time can't be changed. The pebble tossed into the water doesn't change the river's direction. Um, this I've literally just been watching a video. Uh, somebody's been playing through Soul Reaver 2. And the very same thing's been mentioned up. That the, the river doesn't change. It just kind of bends around the, the changes in the, the stream, you know. Um, where are we? Charles poo-poos this theory, though. And the boys prepare to go to Washington, D.C. That night at the Pentagon, we see Eric strolling back into his prison. Taking out guards for a pair of metal balls before collecting his helmet from a display cabinet. As previously mentioned. On the plane, Logan asks if Charles is okay, as he visibly rubs his legs. He discusses the future and the students he should look for. He uses Storm's codename and Scott and Jean's real names. 
So how is she supposed to find Storm? Like, she, she clearly gets her name from being part of the group, right? So you'll find Isn't Storm. that how it works? I guess they you know what mean? they've never mentioned her name, have they, in the movies? Uh, they've brought her up a couple of times, I think, but not, not in an obvious way. Yeah. Which is ironic because Jean Grey doesn't have a code name. Don't get me started on. Uh, meanwhile, in the future, Warpath sees the Sentinels coming. It's fight time. Time. Magneto heads out to join the others. Back in the past, we see more old news footage of the X-Boys enter the event, with Logan being delighted that he doesn't need to be frisked, because <laughs> he doesn't set off the uh, metal detectors, which is a nice moment, because he always does. Parked next to a collection of military vets in wheelchairs, Charles has a brief interaction with one, who is a victim of a bouncing Betty. As Charles, normal cut. As Charles searches for people gathered for uh, as an indisguised mystique, the president heads into the stage, making a brief speech before Sentinel prototypes are unveiled. The veterans of this audience stand and salute for some reason. <laughs> Proud of our robot brothers. Yeah, like the American president done it once again. Built them by hand. Immediately, Mystique makes a move towards the stage, disguised as a Secret Service agent. Simultaneously, Eric arrives at a stadium, which he quickly tears from the ground and lifts into the air, well, the walls of the stadium, anyway. In one massive ring of metal and steel reinforced concrete. The very t same time, in the future, the Sentinels arrive at the temple. At the t same time in the future? We spend the next few minutes quickly jumping between action scenes and multiple events. I'm not going to lift my hand up for this one. Charles spots a Secret Service agent and sends Logan the Beast after her. Eric transports several hundred ton stadium walls over Washington. Somehow activates the Sentinels as bemused Trask watches. Charles reaches out to Raven. The Sentinels rise. Storm and Bishop prepare to fight in the future. The Sentinels point their weapons at people in the audience as Eric continues to move the stadium, which he uses to fire everyone indiscriminately, not managing to kill anyone. So he is only puppeteering them, after all. Storm creates a storm assaulting the Sentinel transports as hundreds of them drop out to attack. Past Sentinels continue to shoot wildly. The President and his men, slash advisors, are hurriedly moved into his personal bunker. As Sentinels fly closer, Storm powers up Bishop as he uses portals to shoot them down. Police cars head into the White House. The stadium continues. Future Magneto strips the X-Jet, Blackbird, and tosses it at oncoming Sentinels as Storm strikes its nuclear reactor core, I think is what's supposed to be. Yeah, the engine that they use to power it with lightning, taking out several in one go. Magneto holding the uh, debris in the air. Past Eric arrives at the White House, 
light rigging and landing on Charles as he does, the stadium encircling the White House. The Sentinels, past ones, pointing their guns at the police outside. In the future, the ex-people take a breather. Except, oh no! Who's first to go? Who's first to go? Yeah, Storm, was it? Yes, it was. Rip. Storm is stabbed through the back. Sentinel 2 make it through. Magneto has been hit by shrapnel. And then we see Storm being stabbed and tossed over the mountainside. This is mostly to get her out of as many scenes as possible because she is heavily pregnant at this point. And they've had to dress her in specifically designed gear to hide it. I must it say, I do like their little costumes with the X-Men costume. Because like, they have to be like this black, like this... Their costume design is actually quite good, the X-Men costume. Yeah, well thought out. Yeah. Um, Bishop, who can absorb and contain all energy... Is shot by three sentinels and then blows up. Can't absorb that, can he? This is the second <laughs> black man dying from powers that shouldn't be able to kill him that people complain about online with regards to it. The first film, obviously, first class, people have more justification to complain about that one. Um, this one, uh, I can see why it's happening. Uh, but people like to bring it up as well in the same sort of context. So it doesn't, and the storm dies before him. <laughs> so it's like, it doesn't look good. <laughs> but it's cool. She was pregnant, that's why. Yeah. Because I feel like. It's, it's just unfortunate yeah. again that it's happened in that way. Because I feel no. like they should have given a better death scene. Because she's like. No, I think it has power. I think it's interesting that it's sudden, it's out of the yeah. blue, and she's just thrown aside. They don't have time to mourn. The, the, the shock of how striking that image is, is it works, I think. Um, I mean, people can disagree, obviously, but I think it was. Starfire, was that his name? Attacks you because you barely ever see him. Uh, attacks the oncoming sentinels as Magneto uses all the Blackbird shrapnel to plate reinforce the doors. Uh, escaping back into the building uh, via the care of a portal, slash, with the aid of a Kitty Pride in the road cut. But that's not super clear. It's essentially the same way he gets in. Colossus and Fireman fight to keep the Sentinels away as Warpath watches on. In the past, the Beast asks Logan if he makes it. Logan tells him directly again that he doesn't. <laughs> Eric notices the boys coming and tells the Sentinel directly what to do. So this is the proof that he's not physically manipulating them with his powers. Which is odd, you know, but anyway. As Logan and Hank fight the Sentinels, Eric feels out the bunker, yanking it from underneath the White House and putting it through the boom. Logan finally, after so many years free of the weaknesses of Metal Claws, launches a last-ditch attack on Eric. Finally, he's got the chance to, to fight Eric one-on-one -on -one properly. But Eric just flings chunks of debris at Logan before eventually using several bits of rebar embedded in his flesh to restrain him and feeding them through his body and wrapping him up like a pretzel yeah it's a nasty <laughs> way to go he makes a quippy one-liner barb at logan's expense and then flings him into the river where logan slowly sinks drowning so this is the all is maybe lost moment again outside charles here's the battle raging inside the bunker trask detects mystique 
before the bunker is violently shaken as Eric rips it from the building and tearing the front off like a can of sardines. I do like that visual of just kind of peeling away. He then turns to the still functional cameras to make them face him and them pointing the men's own guns at them. He then makes a speech as we see the X-Men of the future fighting. Colossus being torn in half, which is nice. Can't do it with him as human, but, you know, it's still pretty graphic. Warpath having his face lowered slowly into the beam of Sentinel's attack. In the past, Peter is back home with his younger sister, watching Eric on the telly. Uh, the old Eric show. Uh, Sunspot uh, fights Sentinels who impale him. See, now I didn't notice him die originally when I was watched yeah. this the first couple of times, and then I'm like, oh, there yeah. he is. That's how unremarkable his role is in this film. It's such a shame. Mutants from the army tent watch as he talks, Eric, that is, as Blink is fighting several Sentinels alone before being impaled by all three at once. Why she doesn't just get out of there, I don't know. That's quite a visual scene as well. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, the remaining future survivors hear the Sentinels attempt to break in. So Bobby heads to further reinforce the Doors of Ice in the theatrical cut. Um, he's obviously uh, not there during the <laughs> other cut. Cock. That's the, the dramatic changes. He's not there at all. Back in the past, the President approaches Eric. Except it's not Nixon. It's Mystique in disguise. Cunning. She shoots him in the neck as he is distracted by an attacking sentinel. Now seeing Beast as human thanks to a massive dose of his serum. What is it with Beast taking multiple needles and injecting them? He loves taking needles. Because he did that to Magneto yeah. in the third film, yeah. right? Eric down, the sentinel's power... Uh, Eric down, the sentinel's power down. Raven then turning her gun towards Trask uh, has a final conversation with Charles, giving her the free will to choose... We see Bobby killed as she wavers and the Sentinels powering up to kill the remaining future survivors. Logan drowns. She lowers her gun and the future vanishes. Back in 73, everyone breathes a sigh of relief as Raven leaves with the helmet and Charles takes over Eric's mind to free himself, contradicting what he said earlier in the film that he would never get in that head again. <laughs> oh well. Well, I know it's more powerful, that's why. So he's like, I'm going to get in his head now. Because <laughs> I can do it now. <laughs> Treat myself. <laughs> Logan Lice is uh, lying in the river before we fade to the future. A sort of holographic future radio plays the first time ever I saw your face. Such a weird song. Though. As a call back to the yeah. time he woke up. Obviously it makes sense it's in the yeah. past. It's nice to just a cute reference really. Um, he wanders into the hall of the school full of life. Beast. Frasier. Greets him. 
Kitty and Colossus are teaching classes. Rogue and Bobby are together. Storm congratulates the kids. And in a doorway, Jean is leaning. A flabbergasted Logan, unable to fully believe it's real. He reaches out to touch her and is interrupted by Not Scott. Not so fast, Bob. <laughs> Logan talks to the professor. He's a history teacher now, but he has no idea of the history. So I assume he's losing his job tomorrow. <laughs> Charles asks what the last thing Logue remembers is. Drowning. And Charles just smiles. He's like, we've got a lot to talk. We've got a lot to catch up on, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Why did he say it like that? <laughs> we got a lot to catch up on, boy. <laughs> I love that he's really sort of like... What we were, if it were happening in the movies before this, at the end, by like, it's almost like they've done a soft reboot of the whole thing. Because mm -hmm. that gene didn't die. Yeah. Cyclops well, is still like going like... So this is a weird time thing. So <laughs> we'll get to it in a minute. <laughs> um, we hear from Charles in the past as Logan is fished from the river alive. Trask arrested for selling secrets, the paper says. Stryker watches over Logan. But wait, his eyes, it's Mystique. Credits. Post-credits scene. The very end of the credits. I assume you've sat and watched the whole thing. Yes. Because you never saw the last film's credits, post credit scene. Oh, this one I did, because I left it on the bike soon. <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to watch these credits now this, sadly this, we've got to the point where credit post credit scenes are a thing we see a dead desert I hear thousands chanting a lone figure stands atop a dune as pyramids are constructed miraculously in the air the camera turns to see four figures on a dune on horses it's apocalypse isn't it <laughs> we have to wait and see they are chanting something. It happens to be the character's name, but we, yeah. we'll talk more about that later. So, uh, opinions. What do you think? Any sort of best lines? Best alternate lines? I think the one quite better. We'll get to that. Yeah. Um, I think the the line that stands out is when so somebody st stumbles and falls. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that line kind of carries through the whole. Yeah. Point point on with like. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing that I, I could really think of that on its own really sticks out. There's some kind of funny back and forths. Some interesting back and forths. One line is like, hmm. I don't care who you screw, don't be there screw me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? This is the president would say that. Like, right. So um, what we should really talk about is the best scene. So in the theatrical version, I'm sure it's likely to be very specific scene but I mean your opinion really for me I, like, I really like the scene of Charles meeting himself I'm saying about I don't know why that scene just like because I see them talk I'm like oh I got goosebumps for that sort of game I was like I don't know why like it's just some weird like mm. I think it was Charles might be my favourite character and him seeing like himself like I like, oh this is a really cool just him trying to like pep talk his younger self like it is Interesting that all the films before now that have featured the bulk casts, best scenes have always been Magneto does a yeah. thing. And in the theatrical cut, it's nice to see that it's a 
more subdued moment than that. The film takes a moment to breathe and it's just reflecting on what's happening and change of people and how there can be hope still, you know. It has a power. But when you get to the road cut, I think it reverses. I think the scene with, in my opinion, you might differ. You might still feel it's the same scene. But when it goes to the road cut, the scene with the the transitions back and forth, because in the normal cut, it's just him walking in and taking his helmet back and leaving. And it's all right. It's fine. It's just it's a cheeky little Magneto scene. But in with the addition of the back and forth, the the jumping back and forth in time and him showing off his abilities in both versions yeah. of the world, even though it's not as grand as him yeah. lifting an entire yeah. stadium, which everybody remembers, um, is really well done. I, I think. Like, I do love that scene in the World Cup. Uh, again, it's just like this nice standout. These two versions of the same man doing this thing. It makes you wonder why they cut in the first place. Like it just doesn't, just some, like, why they wouldn't want Rogue to be in there that much. I think, it, I think the bit that throws it is the stuff at the mansion where Mystique turns up. And without, if you cut out the stuff at the mansion with Mystique, then you can't have yeah. the stuff with them traveling to go and get Rogue. It doesn't work as well. It would be more confusing. So you'd have to either have it all or have none of it. Yeah, but I kind of feel like the, that that part weighs the part of the mansion. Like mm-hmm. it does improve. I mean, it's not like Rose got a massive. She comes over to take someone's like. It's, yeah. it's, it's, like it's more the like, the effects of yeah. Rogue being there and having to go to her. Yeah. If Rogue wasn't there again, like you say, that that cool scene where it's traveling back and forth in time at the same time yeah. with two different, it wouldn't yeah. be there at all. It wouldn't be necessary. So I mean, you could have another character maybe, but yeah, she doesn't do a lot there was more of an emotional impact when Bobby's dead obviously Uh, but uh, yeah I think that's the best scene in that version and you're right the road cut is the better film overall Um, just because of little changes like that and I I think yeah only the mansion stuff really affects it myself Um, have you got a favourite character favourite character Specifically from the film, not just overall as an no. X-Men. <laughs> as an X- <laughs> Quite like, I think it's Magneto. <laughs> it almost always yeah, is, Magneto. right? Um, I, I'm, it's interesting because I don't know if Magneto as a character is... Like, young Magneto is a bit of a dick. And old Magneto doesn't do a whole lot as a character. It is more about Charles. Even right? Peter, like, well, Peter's not in enough to like. Yeah. Because I feel like he's an interesting. He's character. big enough as a character for people to be like that yeah. guy. He was so much, yeah. but it's like he's so different from everything else that's happening. Like, he's not in it for long enough either, like because he's because obviously he's overpowered. So they need to get him out. I mean, like. There's more of an impact yeah. in future installments, yeah. but. Um, yeah, I think it, the the love for that character is a bit overhyped. Um, you see, I don't, I've never watched any future stuff. I don't mean you have that. Love for this character, like. Well, we're gonna we're <laughs> gonna get there soon. Um, yeah, I think I think it's all about Xavier, really, yeah. isn't it? Well, it's Xavier's journey, isn't it? It's about his journey of like getting hope back. You get, yeah. and they both get to act yeah. a bit. Yeah. 
you know, uh, in in the film. Obviously, mo mostly McAvoy, but you know, the pair of them still have some interesting stuff going on, um, introspection and reflection, and um, some interesting lines in there. So yeah, yeah, I think for me it would be Xavier. Um, yeah, sure. Quicksilver Peter is. Uh, a little sort of nice moment, yeah. but that's all it is. It's not, like, I'm sure people think that's their favourite scene. That did the rounds when it came out yeah. on YouTube, didn't it? Oh, Everyone was obsessing over that yeah. slow motion bit. But um, when you really take everything into account, yeah, I think that those other characters have stronger yeah. sort of presences. Um, and yeah, row cut should be if you get the chance to watch the row cut. You can get the row cut on Blu-ray. You see this enough, and it, it has both cuts on it. But why is it on, not on Disney Plus? I don't understand this. Like Disney Plus needs a few iron out a few wrinkles. I think over I the next like couple of years. Have both versions you want, but like I mean, they've got extras, right? Yeah. And they've got two versions <laughs> of visual styles. Like they've got IMAX versions of films and normal. And plus the fact that they, they always said it's not a canon anyway. It's in a different universe. So it's not like is it going to affect their? <laughs> I know. I know. Um, well, at least. Right now, it's oh, not going to affect anything. So talking about canon, we'll get to the end of yeah. this and we'll kind of address the canon now. Um, but cast leaving the timeline at this time. Peter Hayden Dinklage, after filming Future Past, he made appearances in the god-awful Pixels and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. He also appeared in 2018's Avengers Infinity War. Did he appear in Free Beer Boys? I think I've seen that movie. I don't remember that. Probably not as oh. obvious. Elliot oh. uh, Page, his career ironically became less predominant on screen in the years post-Future Past, but he's been very busy nonetheless. Uh, a notable, if less than desirable, turn in 2017's Flatliners remake was uh, the biggest role on screen, but Page has found a lead role in Netflix's the Umbrella Academy. Season show, three rolling out soon and uh, playing another trans character. That's so being able to play well. themselves, yeah. a representation of themselves, it's fantastic. And it's nice to see Netflix and the producers behind yeah. that and the team really kind of leaning into it in a positive way. Um, so Ian McKellen, uh, we sadly, sadly, raise your glasses, raise your glass. my, my glass is empty. <laughs> Say final goodbye to Sir Ian, who not only wouldn't return to the series, but also doesn't really get a goodbye in the film. All the characters come back after yeah. their world has changed. It's almost like Magneto, somehow his history's changed enough where he's no longer around in the future. Yeah, yeah and they did say some of us might not exist anymore when the future's changed. So It was just a shame that they're not even like... Some weird of the multiverse because he said to him, like, had him there, like, and had a goodbye. Obviously, not maybe not excellent, but having, like, because I feel like it was such a pivotal. You never know, something yeah. might still come along eventually. I guess um, it could have been. In the, in I could be mistaken. We have films that we both haven't seen yeah. yet, but yeah, he's just gone. Um, he will appear one last time as Gandalf in the Battle of the Five Armies, <laughs> and he plays an aging Sherlock Holmes in Mr. Holmes, which I keep meaning to see. Yeah, I know that. I'm to watch um, that. and also appears in box office disaster, Cats. Oh, that. <laughs> there, Anna Paquin. 
who I think I saw pop up in the film at some point. Was she in there? Anyway. Uh, two seconds. Is still working, appear, appearing in The Good Dinosaur, The Irishman, and finish up her, finishing up her run in True Blood a few years back. I, I feel I've got I've got to the last season of True Blood but I've finished it. Um, Omar C has begun to make a name for himself outside of France with appearances in Jurassic World, To His Family, Chocolat, Inferno, Transformers: The Last Night, and Nef- Net and the Netflix produced series Lupin, where he's still uh, in the role. Transformers: Last Night, Ugh. utter disappointment. <laughs> Sean Ashmere will uh, next pop up in Xbox exclusive Quantum Break. Oh, and Amazon's TV adaptation of The Boys. Oh, that was him, was it? In a... <laughs> the Boys, another great show. Have you seen it? I have not had a chance to sit oh. down. I've got so much going on, I just haven't had a chance. Uh, fan Bing Bing. In 2018, uh, Fan disappeared for three months. Really? Uh, reportedly during an investigation into her tax affairs oh. by the Chinese authorities, she was reportedly fined a sum greater than her net worth. She was subsequently appeared on social media offering a public apology over tax evasion for which she was fined more than uh, 883 million Chinese yen or uh, uh, Chinese yen? What am I saying? You know what I mean. Uh, US... <laughs> A hundred and twenty-seven million dollars. Wow. And there's the communist government of China there like, being even-handed and, and clearly not doing anything. I mean, especially not in recent history. There's not been any problems with the treatment of women in the with the communist government of China. I, th- I suppose we shouldn't say all this stuff out loud in case I disappear tomorrow. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're going to China one day. We're like. <laughs> like, oh, him, him. <laughs> um, James Marston makes a brief return here as Cyclops to give a, a send off finally because he had a bad shake of it in the films yeah. uh, he's appeared in several films since but I think we can agree his high point has been the Sonic the Hedgehog film series and maybe playing a young Burt Reynolds in Once Upon oh, a I Time see. in Hollywood I do, like, I enjoy, I do enjoy the Sonic the Hedgehog movies Oh, they're good, they're good. you saw the second one? Didn't you? I saw the second one, yeah. Oh, nice, nice. And we're saying goodbye to Halle Berry. Um, she started moving into some more notable blockbusters with appearances in Kingsman, The Gold Circle, John Wick, Chapter 3. Oh, John Wick. <laughs> we should do John Wick at some point. Maybe our transitional series when we have a mini-series. And this year's big disaster sci-fi romp, Moonfall. I, I need to watch that. I hear it's like, should be on streaming now, right? I hear it's not the greatest film, but it's watchable, enjoyable. Like turn off your brain, sort of. Thing. Yeah. Uh, you, you know the one. It's the one yeah. where the moon falls. Yeah. Um, Boo Boo Stewart would appear in multiple roles for Disney Television, including TV film franchise The Descendants, which is the, all the kids of the super villainy sort of bad guy sort of witches and whatnot in all the Disney classic animations. It's a weird sort of premise, but. You know, Daniel Cudmore, he technically was in a deleted scene in Dark Phoenix, but he's not in that film, apparently. So somehow, but for outside of X-Men, he now has a string of appearances in multiple characters in DC TV shows. Arrow, 
Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and Superman and Lois. CW, that's what I'm going to say. Colossus is getting paid, though, you know. Sorry, I don't, don't respect, can't disrespect the hustle. Uh, Famke Jensen, after a string of almost as many appearances in the X-Men films as Hugh Jackman, <laughs> if when you think about it, she's never been, like, the title no. in those films, but... Uh, Jensen finished UPM, uh, uh, finished up her time on the Taken series, where she was married to um, Liam Neeson's character. Oh. Uh, there's been several smaller roles on film and television. She was in that werewolf thing on Netflix about 10 years ago. I've never watched that. I've never got the chance to watch it either. I was meant to. It doesn't seem like it's very long. Uh, but, you know. And the star of show, Kelsey Money Plane Grammar has kept the dream alive appearing in the Expendables 3 Transformers Age of Old Extinction and being busy on TV voice work stage and even in talks to bring back the Frasier TV sitcom Frasier never seen that never watched it have no interest in ever watching Frasier but you should watch, you it we should watch one episode at least so you know what it's like maybe you'd like it alright we have no emails this month I should double check if we've got any emails this month you've never bloody no do you but I don't think we've got any emails if you want to send us some emails or even leave a comment on the it's, video yes or leave a comment on the video when it goes up on YouTube it's thetimelinepod at gmail.com if you have any thoughts about the films we covered about the episode about upcoming films let us know and TV series when we get to it Um. so no bonus Twitter comments as well. I did put a call out, but it's very short notice. If we do get any more, I will splice them in. Um, thank you, Limber Bond, as always, for co-hosting, Perfect. chatting with me. It's always been a pleasure. And the last series of shows. I want to thank our Patreon, uh, Mike Wong, for the ongoing support. You can support too over at www.patreons.com forward slash cbutsu which is the same as the channel title if you're watching this live, and the details are linked into videos and whatnot. A special thanks to Mikey Newman of Film Joy and Movies with Mikey fame for guesting on the road cut segments of this episode. Find him over at www.youtube.com forward slash filmjoy or twitter.com forward slash mikeyface um, or their Patreon is forward slash movies with Mikey. So, before we go, we need to quickly talk about what's coming next. So, timelines have split. Technically. <laughs> From this point on, um, there's only one film after this. Sort of. So, there is Deadpool series. Logan. And New Mutants. They're all considered different universes from each other and from this film. Yeah. So Logan doesn't technically take place after this in the idea of yeah. canon. Obviously for our timeline it does. But and Deadpool really fucking muddies the water over its two films. For technically two and a half films. Because there's two cuts of oh. Deadpool 2. We're not doing both cuts of Deadpool 2. So when is Apocalypse? Apocalypse takes place after this one, though. Apocalypse takes place in the past. Okay. 
So it doesn't take place canon wise after the events Phoenix. of this film in the past. Okay, okay. Are you coming? I don't <laughs> because it, to... it stars the cast of the first class series. Okay. Not... Yeah. Because I've not watched these films, so I've no like I have no idea what they're like. So everything <laughs> is this is the okay. end technically of this universe's canon okay, time. This is where the chapter ends. This is the But you could consider maybe Logan being after this. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Like, but maybe people don't like the idea of that because Logan has quite a bleak universe. Yes, and it is quite. They just had a a happy ending for everyone, yeah. so uh, maybe that's why. Um, but we're going on release schedule, so the next film we will be watching is Deadpool. Okay, I don't watch Deadpool either. You've you've got the option to watch that. No, you've got a copy. You've got access to it. Yeah, it's on Disney yeah. Plus easily. Yeah, I think I've got a Blu-ray downstairs. If not, I'll get hold of a four K version. Yeah, yeah, it's easy enough to watch, and it's <laughs> after everything we've been through, it's very light and easy going. So, um, we're going to go away and watch that. I encourage you. if you if you've got any opinions. Obviously, you've got the email. You've got us on Twitter. You got Patreon. Yeah. You got all the places you can leave messages. Any thoughts about Deadpool? Feel free to tell us. Any thoughts about the show? Feel free to tell us. And we will be returning next episode with the Deadpool section of this now confusing time. Which is going to be interesting. I don't, I don't particularly like Ryan Reynolds that much, so <laughs> you know, you know the character from the comics, how he is in there. Yeah, but I mean, I don't. Really there isn't that. anybody else you could play him. Yeah. Really, he like he's Harley Quinn levels of oh. perfect for the role sort of situation to the point where before he was cast people were drawing him in the character in the comics so um it is one time where it's appropriately bearable okay. i've got nothing against ryan Reynolds. I don't think, I don't, i'm against him but it's, you know you know some actors you don't you just don't like, click yeah. yeah it's fine right. um and i think going in knowing it's a comedy starring him yeah. comedy ish starring him i think you'll find it more entertaining than you might have expected but yes it will be Deadpool next and then it will be Logan and then it will be Deadpool 2 and then it will be New Mutants and then there will be uh, Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix in there as well um, I think it's Deadpool, Logan Apocalypse but I have to... New Mutants is last isn't it? New Mutants is definitely the last one because <laughs> yeah. they only came out a couple of years ago or like, three, no three. no New Mutants is the second to last one technically uh, it's Phoenix the last one Phoenix, I think because New Mutants has been in production for so long it's hard to know I think it's, it's a time for th- we may treat oh. New Mutants the last one whether or not it definitely is but yes so yes thank you for joining us and we hope you've had a good ride with us and uh, we'll see you next time for Deadpool good old Deadpool the jolly old Deadpool Luck luck a duck, Deadpool. Deadly Lady Pool. I don't care who you fuck, as long as you don't fuck me. <laughs> like, okay. Why is he? Why is he from the Sopranos? Why would he say that? Like, like.
Logan, woken by this chance, feels her presence, just as beef and beef, just as beef informs Logan. Logan. I don't care who you screw, as long as it isn't me. That was a pretty good, that was a pretty good Nixon, everybody.